All right. Hey, guys, give it up for this band really quick. Hey, they just do incredible. Golly, it's incredible. Hey, go ahead and take your Bibles with me, man. I think they set it up perfectly for us as we are uh, about to kick off tonight. Turn to Revelation 19 with me if you have a Bible with you. Um, So maybe on your phone, it's going to be on the screen. Maybe you have a physical copy of God's Word. Revelation chapter 19. And so while you were turning there, the last book of the Bible, man, I just want to kind of give you some context uh, as to what we were doing. If you were not able to make it last week or know what we're doing, man, we're going through this series called Behold. Uh, And the whole point and the whole reason for this series is to literally encourage you. uh, Whatever stage of life you're in, uh, whether you're on the highs or you're the lows, whether it's a season you really don't know what's happening, you don't know what's going on, our goal through this series is to show you that you are created, right, to, to behold someone so much greater than, than what your feelings or your life or your, your, your context or, or whatever your culture is telling you to do. And so, man, what we want to do, and even tonight as we kicked off last week, is to just kind of put some wind in your sails, right? And just to say, listen, I promise you it is okay to be joyful through whatever circumstance you're going through, just like these guys just think about. It was the perfect bridge into the lesson tonight. And so I'm excited about tonight. We kicked off last week talking about the Lamb of God, what the significance was, right? Like, what does that mean for us? How do we apply that to our lives? In Revelation 19, we're going to be camping out on the conquering king. And so uh, maybe if you have some, a notepad or maybe your phone or whatever, write that down, the conquering king. And so really what we're looking at in Revelation 19 is, is John telling us some things about who Jesus is going to be, right? And so through, through this, through these, these few verses that we're going to talk about tonight, there are so many things to dive into, but we're only going to talk about six. And you're like, oh my gosh, like we're going to be here all night. No, we're, we're going to, I promise you we're going to fly through them. So let me encourage you, go ahead, be ready to take some notes, take pictures, do whatever you do uh, that, that you need to do in order to remember the things that we talk about tonight. So Revelation 19, we're going to be in verses 11 through 16, six things that we need to behold about the conquering king inside of our lives. Look with me in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head uh, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So as we dive into this tonight, you need to know kind of what's happening. So like last week, we looked to what Jesus, who Jesus was, right? The Lamb of God, we looked kind of back in history. So tonight, what we're doing is we're looking forward. So everything that we're looking at tonight in Revelation 19, this is John on the island of Patmos. So he's seeing a vision of heaven, right? A vision of the future, a vision of the conquering king, right? And so all the things that we're reading about and going to study, they have not happened in history yet. So we're 
we're still in the point to where kind of John was, right? Like we're waiting, we're, we're studying, we are anticipating on this moment to happen. So it's, it's interesting to study something that hasn't happened yet, but we know what's going to happen. So that's going to be kind of where we kind of start off tonight. The first thing we need to behold is this, behold his faithfulness. So as we as we dive into these six different things, the first thing is behold his faithfulness. Verse 11, as we start this out, it says, John is telling us, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. So highlight maybe those three words, faithful and true. So we are to behold his faithfulness. Verse 11 This is kind of how John is starting us out. He is saying, understand that Jesus, the conquering king, he is faithful and true. Out of all things that we're going to start out with, describing him and telling you about him, and in this vision that I'm seeing, I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, he is faithful and, and true. So here's the deal when it comes to Jesus and his faithfulness. You can always identify Jesus by his faithfulness. So this gives us every reason to trust him with every situation inside of our life. So here's what I mean by that. We we live in a culture, we live in a lifestyle, right? That if we were to be honest, we hear many different voices from many different things. Now, I'm not saying you're crazy. I'm not saying that you hear things in your head, but that's the reality, right? Like you you go to school and you hear some voices from your friends. Uh, you, You hear voices from the enemy. You hear voices from temptation. You hear voices from the culture. Everywhere you go, you are here, you are being bombarded with things inside of your life. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just do not know how to hear the voice of God. I, I don't know how do, how do I distinguish what is God and what is culture? How do I distinguish what is God and, and what, what are my, my coworkers or my friends are tempted? How, how do I know? The one thing that, that really separates Jesus from everything else is his faithfulness. And so inside of your life, this is how you identify him inside of your life. This is what John is walking us through as we start out tonight. He is saying, as I tell you this, this vision, I'm going to start out by telling you his core characteristics of being faithful. So whenever you go through whatever you're going through inside of your life, you need to understand, you need to behold the faithfulness of God before you behold anything else inside of your life. Like we talked about last week, not that we're ignoring the reality of the things that happen in our life. No, those are real. Those are there. There's a reason that God allows things. However, whenever we behold the faithfulness of God, we start seeing things differently inside of our life. And so this is encouraging. He is not only faithful to keep his promises to you, but he is also faithful in going before you, fighting for you, and walking with you daily. Have you ever noticed this about God? Often, we sing so much about uh, the faithfulness of God, like, and whenever we think about the faithfulness of God, we think about, oh, what he has told me he's going to complete, what, what he has said he is going to do, like, but that is the only thing that we think about when it comes to the faithfulness of God, right? Like, it's not bad, not wrong, that's, that's great, but think about the faithfulness of God in the sphere of your whole entire life, like, just picture your whole life and understand the faithfulness of God, it goes way further than him keeping a promise to you. The faithfulness of God goes way beyond him saying, all right, I said this, so you need to trust me. No, that God is not that shallow. No, he, he, he is faithful in going before you, fighting your battles, walking with you daily. In fact, in, in the book of, book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 8, we see this, right? And so maybe take note of this, write this down, Deuteronomy 31, 8. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. So the book of Deuteronomy comes along and it kind of applauds what John is saying in this moment, right? It, it kind of applauds what he is saying from Deuteronomy all the way to Revelation. Like the Lord, he is faithful. He will go before you. He will fight for you. He will do all these things for you. But it's interesting how Deuteronomy sums this up. So if you take the last part of 31 verse 8, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. So you take that, that is the main point, right? And you tie that in with the rest of 31 8 and you say the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so Deuteronomy is literally saying, if you trust Jesus, if you trust the conquering king, do you understand the, the faithfulness and the repercussions of your choice to trust the conquering king? You will not be afraid, nor will you be discouraged. It's like, there's not an option. It doesn't say, hey, if you, if you trust him, if you rely on him, you may or may not come through discouraged or maybe shameful or maybe wondering where God is. No, this confidence that we have in his faithfulness is deep, right? This confidence that we have inside of Jesus is a deep confidence. And so because he does all those things, because he will never leave you nor forsake you, do you understand the power that is in his faithfulness? Because he will never do all these things, we know what he will do, but because he will never do all these things, because he is faithful and true, do you understand whenever you trust in his faithfulness, you have all the benefit inside of your life, as you look to his faithfulness, therefore you are rewarded for that because you are, you are all of a sudden no longer discouraged because you trust in the faithfulness of the conquering king. Like you, you are no longer thrown off guard and afraid and buried in your shame and your guilt and your past. Why? Because you put your faithfulness in his faithfulness and you put all of your mess ups, you put all of your past in his faithfulness and that puts everything else in its rightful place. Leads us to the second takeaway. Behold his authority. It just keeps getting better and better by the way. So verse 11, we see whose writer is called faithful and true, period, and then it keeps going. With justice, he judges and wages war. So as we go through verse 11, with justice, he judges and wages war. So behold his authority. You see, this is kind of where it gets kind of sad because a lot of us, we view God as only, well, Jesus, he loves me. Jesus pursues me. Jesus will forgive me of everything. And we often only see one side of who Jesus is inside of our lives. I don't really know why that's the case, but, but often we just say, well, Jesus loves you, Jesus pursues you, he forgives you, Jesus does all these things, which again is true, but until you see the all of who Jesus is, you're never gonna understand his authority inside of your life because Jesus, the same Jesus that loves you and pursues you, that went to the cross for you, is the same Jesus that is one day going to judge those who never put their trust in him. This Jesus that we talk about who we say, man, he is loving you, he is pursuing you, he is going after you, that is so true. But look to who Jesus is as well as the judge and as the authority. Like that same God that offers you salvation is one day going to say, I gave you chance after chance. And now you're going to stand before me in judgment of everything that you've said, everything that you've done. Why? Because you never put your hope and your trust in me as your Lord and your Savior. So we're called to discipline ourselves 
to monitor the authority of any human while at the same time never second-guessing the authority of the conquering king. Now, as I say this, I want to be very clear. As I say monitor any human, I'm not saying to go to your parents and say, listen, my college pastor told me to monitor your authority, so since you told me to do that, I'm going to have to get back with you because i got to monitor what you're telling me to do. Or maybe go to your professors and be like, hey, I know you told me I had a paper due, but my college pastor told me i got to monitor your authority because you're a human and you're my authority. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that you got to get to a point inside of your life to where you put the right authority in the right place inside of your life, right? No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, you got to get to a point to where you say, if any authority, if anything goes against this authority, then I'm I'm not going to do it. Like, if, if anything goes against what this book says, by the way, it takes knowing the book to know what it says, But if anything goes against it, I'm not going to do it. It it reminds me of the book of Daniel, right? Chapter 6, verse 13. If you're taking notes, write that down. Daniel 6, verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And so without context, you'll be like, oh my gosh, Daniel was such a rebel. He, he was such a, like, he disobeyed his authority. That is not what God tells us to do. But when you look at the context of what is happening in the book of Daniel in 6.13, you see that he is faced with these two different authorities inside of his life. He is faced with human authority and eternal authority. And so he knows just because his human authority told him to do one thing did not mean that he actually needed to do that thing. And so Daniel steps up inside of his life and he says, listen, you're going to find me doing what I've been doing this whole time. I know that you issued a decree. I know that it's normal to act this way. It's normal in our culture to live this way, to talk this way, to respond this way. I understand that. But the word of God says otherwise. And I just, I can't help but to think inside of our lives, not just in our college ministry, but talking about your life specifically, I can't help but to think, what, how much would God respect you even more if you chose to take his authority really, really serious inside of your life? And you said, God, man, I haven't been taking your authority like I, like I need to be. I haven't been obeying you like I need to be. God, it's not that I'm, I'm afraid, but... I know that you're worthy. Like, just think about inside of your life, if you understood the authority of God in the way that Daniel did, and you said, I'm going I'm to draw a line in the sand, and I'm going to say, if anything comes against my God's authority and what he has told me and what he has said in his word, then I'm flat out not going to do it. You can't tell me that God doesn't reward your life like that. You cannot tell me God doesn't respect that. I love how One theologian, Clark, summed this up. He said, remember that he does it all in righteousness. The wars which he wages are from no principle of ambition, lust of power, or extension of conquest and dominion. They are righteous in their principle and in their object. And this is perhaps what no earthly potentate could ever say. And so I would just encourage you the next time, just looking at this quote, the next time that you think of maybe not like not obeying the authority of God, like just think about what his authority entails, right? That 
inside of his authority, everything that he tells you to do inside of this book, every command, every word, every word that you hang on inside of this scripture, it is all for your good, for his glory, to advance his kingdom. And this is why we obey the authority of the risen king, right? The conquering king. is because we know everything that he does is out of righteousness. Nothing he does is to demote anybody. Nothing he does is to push somebody to the side. Nothing he does is for lust of power. Like, all these people that have come and gone, presidents and all these different people that have come and gone, and we see them doing all these things that are just like, oh my gosh, like how could you do that? No, Jesus' authority, we see this in Scripture over and over again, that he does these things out of righteousness. And if he tells you to do something, he is doing it because he loves you and because he is saying, you need to understand, if you obey my authority, you got, you got to see this. You're not doing it simply out of a duty. You're doing it out of delight because then you see, as I behold his authority, oh my gosh, I get fulfillment out of this. Like, I get fulfillment because he is faithful and because he holds all authority. So in other words, his authority is worth being sought after. Just think about it inside of your life. What would it take for you specifically, getting on a personal level tonight, to say, I'm going to seek after the authority of God inside of my life? Does that mean that you do away with something or someone inside of your life? Does that mean that you, you discipline yourself to read this word more? Does it mean that you discipline yourself to have that time with the Lord daily? Like, what does that look like inside of your life to seek after the authority of God? You know that he says literally how to live your life and how to talk and how to act, all the things what would it look like inside of your life specifically to say, I'm going to go further than just reading about it, and I'm going to seek after it? Leads us to our next number three, behold his knowledge. You were created to behold his knowledge. Verse 12, as we continue, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. So ju just picture this. As we walk through this, and we haven't even scratched the surface, I promise you we're going to finish it all, though. His eyes are like blazing fire. So just picture this, that you see Jesus. You see he's riding this horse with justice. He judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire on his head or many crowns. Just picture this the best you can inside of your mind. Behold his knowledge. Spurgeon, he summed it up like this. Why are they like flames of fire? Which, I mean... That's a common question. First, to discern the secrets of all hearts. There are no secrets here that Christ does not see. There's no lewd thought. There's no unbelieving skepticism that Christ does not read. There's no hypocrisy, no formalism, no deceit that he does not easily as a man, uh, that he does not read as easily as a man reads a page in a book. His eyes are like a flame of fire to read us through and through and know us to our inmost soul. Oh, do you, do you see what Spurgeon is saying here? He is like, oh man, why are there flames in his, in, in his eyes? That, that is very, very weird. That is crazy. Well, it's showing you the knowledge that the Lord has for you. And, and not just for you, but the whole entire world. Like as we, as we behold his knowledge inside of our lives, we understand the same God, the same God that reads you like a, like a page in a book, the same God that created you, knitted you together, the same God that knows everything that ever went in your mind, the same God that knows every motive you've ever had, the same God that has heard you when you said, God, forgive me, I will never do it again, and you've done it again and again and again, the same God that has all this knowledge about you is the same God that says, I still want you. I still want to pursue you. I still want that relationship with you. Like, I know you've messed up. I know all these things. I'm full of knowledge. Nothing gets past me. 
Nothing gets past how much I know you. But at the same time, understand nothing gets past how much I love you as well. And so John is painting a picture here of the knowledge of God. And I believe it is for us to see the fact that, listen, Christ sees you for who you are for a reason. And so I want to call you, man, as, as strongly as I can to stop running, maybe from your past, stop running from your shame, stop running from your guilt, stop running from all these things that you're trying to get away from because you think you'll have a better standing with God. I, whatever you have in your mind, stop, stop running from all that. Behold his knowledge and understand, even though he sees you and he knows you, he is still pursuing you. So his knowledge of you is not meant to be intimidating, but to be embraced, right? This same God, like, I'm not going to be intimidated of the knowledge. I'm not going to be intimidated that he knows my inmost being. I'm going to embrace the fact that by grace, through faith, he understands and he sees me, he knows me, and by God's grace, there is forgiveness. And so I'm going to behold his knowledge inside of my life. I'm going to behold the fact that he knows all of me. He knows all of my thoughts, all of my motives, all of my bad things, and he knows me, but I'm going to embrace it. You see, this is the whole backbone of what salvation is when you think about it, is one sinner understanding just how bad they are, right? One sinner understanding just how bad they have messed up. All the shame, all the guilt, everything you got, no matter what situation you're going through, good or bad, one sinner understanding, but also understanding that their God is greater than whatever they've done inside of their life. So you're created to behold his knowledge in a healthy way. Way. Don't be scared of it or intimidated of it, but embrace it and understand that by grace, you have another chance. You have a chance to turn to him for forgiveness of sin. So the conquering king, he takes delight. Think about this. He takes delight in creating you and seeing you and loving you and saving you and walking with you all the days of your life. Can you see this all throughout scripture? Like from one extreme to the other. This is what we see of the king and his knowledge, right? He takes delight in these things because we, we read scripture and we know these things based on scripture. He created you, number one, right? Psalmist tells us you created my inmost being, like you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Created you, he sees you. He is not a God that just created you and lets you go. No, like he is not a, not a theist God, like go do your part, like do your best and if you need me, call on me. No, he sees you, he hears you, he is there with you, he loves you. He goes even further, he saves you and he walks with you all the days of your life. Our God is personal. Our God is so personal. And so embrace the fact that he is personal. Quit embracing your failures and saying, oh man, like the, I'm, I'm too bad or, or I'm going through a rough season right now. No, embrace the fact that God knows about it. But at the same time, man, his grace is better. His grace is bigger and he will change you if you will just simply trust him and lean into him. Leads us to beholding his sovereignty. Verse 12, as we continue, his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. I, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we see this whole idea that there's not just a singular crown in this moment, but now he has, he has many crowns. So maybe take a note of that or highlight that into verse 12. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. So Jesus is the only king who wore a crown of thorns before upgrading to many crowns of sovereignty. So do you see this progression? 
in the life of Jesus. We talked about his mission was to come to this earth, to die for the sins of his people, and his purpose was to rise from the dead, right? It's all kind of tying in together. So he started out 33 years of life, right, wearing these crown of thorns as he was killed, as he was beaten, as he was spit upon, like one, one singular crown of thorns, like he was, he was destined to die for the sin of mankind, right? We know that about who Jesus is. But at the same time, think about how the story doesn't end there. He started out with a crown of thorns, but our God always ends up having the final say. So what happens? He goes on, rises from the dead, and John is painting a picture for us in Revelation 19 saying, be encouraged, people of 21st century. Be encouraged, 2023, that one day, your God, you're going to see your God as the conquering king. He's going to be wearing many crowns uh, many crowns on his head, not just one singular crown, but many crowns showing his sovereignty. So right now, what you do, you don't wait till that moment to trust in his sovereignty. You start trusting right now that your God is not wearing a single crown of thorns, but he is wearing many crowns of sovereignty. One study Bible summed it up like this. The fact that there are many crowns means that Jesus is the ultimate in royal authority and in power. It is a visible manifestation of what we mean when we say king of kings. It is an expression of unlimited sovereignty. So we sing songs about this all the time, right? Like we sing songs, it's probably coming to your mind right now. We, we talk in messages about this. We know Jesus as the King of Kings. But as you hear King of Kings, understand this is an expression of unlimited and ultimate authority inside of your life. You, you're not just singing to Jesus, you're singing with him with the authority that he has. You're singing, God, thank you for being the king of kings. You're not just a singular crown God, you are a mini crown God, right? You have many crowns of authority and of sovereignty on your head. This is the ultimate form of sovereignty that we see throughout, throughout scripture. So think about it this way and be encouraged. Because Jesus is sovereign, your circumstances are not. Because Jesus is sovereign, your anxiety is not. Because Jesus is sovereign, your depression is not. Because Jesus is sovereign, Satan is not. Because Jesus is sovereign, we are conquerors. Think about the fact that you benefit, right? You benefit from his sovereignty. This is not a lust of, okay, I'm going to be sovereign and these people are going to suffer. I'm going to be sovereign and these people are just going to kind of get by in life. No, I'm going to be sovereign and my people are going to benefit from my sovereignty, if they trust in me, if they obey me, if they listen to me, if they just simply be still and understand I am fighting for them, they will benefit from my sovereignty. Romans 8.37 says this, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? So Romans is agreeing with Revelation here, in all things we are more than conquerors. So since he is sovereign, it is not because of us that we are more than conquerors, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because of his many crowns, we see that we are more than conquerors conquerors. So it's not that we are called to look at our life and say, oh man, I've messed up this time, this time, this time, uh, and I'm going through a rough situation, so I, I can't see God clearly. No, through anything that you go through, through anything that you ever experience, man, let this ring true in your, in your mind. Romans 8, 37, in all things, I am more, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not because of me, but because of who he is. Leads us to beholding his powerful word. Verse 15, as we go down, we can't go through every single thing. Verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation. So behold his powerful word. Someone summed it up like this. They said the idea isn't that Jesus holds a sword in his mouth like a buccaneer or that he is spitting swords. 
This is a dramatic way of referring to the power of his word. Five times in the book of Revelation, Jesus, John emphasizes that Jesus' sword comes out of his mouth. So do you see there's this common theme all throughout the book of Revelation, right? When it comes to this sword and the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, basically letting you know just how powerful his word really is. And so we see this whole theme coming throughout Revelation. And so as, as the Bible describes to us in Revelation 19 that he is holding like a sword is coming out of his mouth. Don't get the wrong picture of some weird thing happening. Like it sounds weird, but whenever you study it and whenever you dig into it, Scripture is elevating the power of the Word, beholding the Word of God. There's a reason the Word is a sword coming out of his mouth. There's a reason that it's not maybe love or some other attribute. There's a reason that it's the word of God. And so John is really lifting our eyes to say, behold, behold the word. And can I just tell you that beholding this word is not simply reading it just when you need to. Like beholding this word is not simply coming to this church building once or twice a week. But beholding this word isn't like brushing it off. And saying, okay, God, I'm going to play Bible roulette, and I'm just going to trust because you're so good that you're going to speak to me through whatever happens, through whatever, I, yeah, Rahab, how does, Ray, how does a prostitute, like, really, how does she pertain to me? No, that's not beholding the word of God. And we have many, many people, many people, especially in this age group, who, who they truly believe they are beholding the word of God when they have no idea about this word. They have no idea about what it says. They may know what it says, but they don't know what it means. No, beholding the word of God means you're changing your plans in order to spend more time in this word. Beholding the word of God means you're not going to listen to your friends and to culture and to the things that come up in your life, your feelings or whatever it may be, tell you that you can only come to church maybe once or a month and you can be, be happy about that. No, beholding the word of God is, is diving in and understanding that, like, I am, I am confident in this word. Like, this is a sword. Like, the, the, the word describes it as a sword inside of Jesus' mouth. After he is rose from the dead, we see this word being described as a sword inside of God's mouth. And, man, we go through situations and we go through life and we struggle so much and it's not even necessary. Why? Because all you have to do is open the word. All you have to do is behold the word and understand and believe it has all the power and the authority that I need inside of my life. Like I'm done focusing on my situations. I'm done beholding my temporary thoughts. I'm done beholding my shame and my guilt. You feel in the, I'm done beholding all these things. I'm gonna behold the word of God for once and see how it actually changes my life. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Look at how Hebrews is describing the word that Revelation is saying is coming out of the mouth of God himself. Alive and active, we all know this, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates. It is literally what the spirit uses to penetrate your soul. It's literally what, what, what the Spirit uses to draw you, right, and to convict you of your sin. 
We see this word going further than, than just reading it and calling it a quiet time after you read it for two minutes and you're dozing off and, and your phone's going off and you just start scrolling again and you're like, oh, I don't even remember what I read today. No, that's not beholding the word. Beholding the word is taking it, taking it serious. So as you are constantly bombarded with lies from culture, your circumstances, and even your own heart, teach yourself daily to open your Bible. And don't, don't just stop there. Read it and live it out. Be as dependent on the Bible as you are about your next breath. Just imagine, man, what would change inside of your life if you truly, if you, if you truly, if you truly beheld this word and said, I am going to love this word above all else. If, if I truly understand the power of this word, literally like I know without breath, I am literally not going to make it. The same is true with the word of God, Christian. If you are following Jesus in the room and you know it, and you're not on the fence about it, you're not being sketchy about it, you're not lying to your parents or your friends about it, but you're really following Jesus, man, understand the significance of this word. Without it, you can literally do nothing. Leads us to our last point. We're gonna close out with this. Behold his lordship. Uh, what better way to close it out? Verse 16, as we finish it out. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You are called to behold his lordship. So John, up to this point, he is describing to us characteristics and attributes of Jesus, right? The, the resurrected Jesus, the one that is the conquering king, the one that is the heavenly warrior defeating the beast. So this massive, just tough Jesus, right? Like far beyond the grave, he has risen, like he's coming to do damage and judge people, right? Like this is the God that we serve. And so John is describing these things, describing the armies of heaven, describing the white horses, describing all these things. In verse 16, in these few scriptures, we see him ending with one of the most powerful things. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So pretty much what John is doing here is he is summing up the fact that he is Lord of all and that we are called to behold his lordship. Behold not just his authority, not just his sovereignty, yes, powerful, but understand the fact that he is Lord and Savior of your life. Think about it this way. The name is on his thigh for prominence, being easily visible when seated on a horse. At the same time, no one knew the name except himself. That is, no one can comprehend him perfectly. Man, I've said it so many times and I'm going to say it again. If you understood everything that our God does or is going to do inside of your life, then he would not be the Lord of all creation. There are some things that are going to happen inside of your life where you were literally left wondering what just happened. Anybody, anybody ever been there before? What in the world am I going through? There are going to be many things inside of your life to where, man, that diagnosis is going to, it's going to hit you out of left field. That family member dying is going, is going to just come out of nowhere. That, that rough patch at school, man, I I didn't ask for this. Why is this happening? My relationship is, is just crumbling. Why? There are going to be many things in your life that you do not understand. But that does not give you any reason to not trust the Lord of all creation. 
If we could understand everything, he would not be Lord. He would not be higher than we are. He would not be wiser than we are. Many things that happen in your life, think about it. If you had the choice, you would say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I love you, but I'm not going to do that. I I love you, God, but if it's my choice, I'm not going to feel that way. God, I I don't want my heart to be broken like that. I, I, I don't want shame to overwhelm me like that. I don't want my temporary situations to flood my mind every single day where I've messed up, where I've fallen time and time again, where Satan has convinced me that God doesn't love me anymore, where I've had those suicidal thoughts and even tried suicide. You see, inside of your life, there are going to be many things that happen, but you got to understand just because you don't understand it does not mean that you should quit following or quit loving Jesus. He is Lord for a reason. We, we may not understand it. We may not see it. We may not feel it. This has happened in my life recently, in, me, in mine and Jamie's life. We've gone through things recently to where we're just like, I, I, I don't know. I, I literally don't know. <laughs> I was talking with a student this week about something, and uh, his story is going to be shared soon because it's a remarkable story. But it's one of those situations to where you hear these stories, and it's like, Wow. Like, why did that have to happen? Like, why, did, why do people have to get so deep inside of life, so deep in their regret, so deep in their shame, so deep in their suicidal thoughts? You see, our job is not to, to be God. Our job is not to try to understand God. Our, our job is not to articulate God and everything that he does. Our job is to simply behold his lordship. And that is not calling you a shallow Christian, but that is you simply giving up the right to understand everything that this life has to offer. That's simply you giving up the right to understand everything that Satan and the Lord are fighting about constantly in spiritual warfare. You're never gonna understand that. You're never gonna understand why God allows things to happen inside of your life, but the Lord calls us to behold him for who he is. So here's what we're gonna end on. You were created to worship the conquering king. The only question is, will you wait to worship him when your circumstances tell you to, or will you worship him no matter what because you know he is worthy? Man, and this is where I was convicted, just to be honest. Because I've been so guilty of this. And how, sh- how shallow is it, man, that many of us that call ourselves Christians, we wait on the green light of a bad circumstance to worship our God. We wait for our circumstances to be just bad enough to where we call on God. Instead of saying, God, you know what? I I don't know what's happening. I don't don't know why it's happening, but I know you're Lord. I know you're sovereign. I know you're good. And so therefore, because I, I behold your word, I behold your sovereignty, I behold your goodness, I, I behold your power, your knowledge, your everything. Lord, because of that, God, maybe I don't need to know why. I don't need to know. I don't need to be pushed 
by my circumstances closer to you. God, I'm not going to be that shallow. God, I'm going to start now worshiping you. When it gets bad, God, I'm going to be worshiping you. When it gets good, God, I'm going to be worshiping you. God, when I'm up on that mountain, I'm going to be worshiping you. When I'm in that valley, I'm going to be worshiping you. God, every time in between, maybe, God, we're just, we're having a really good time, really good season. God, I'm going to be worshiping you. God, I'm going to be identified as Daniel. And no matter how the world finds me, how my friends find me, they're going to find me faithful. They may find me not obeying the culture or our friends or even what is normal, God, but I'm going to be called faithful. Why? Because my God has called me to behold him. And I know if I can't behold him in the good times, I have no reason, I have no reason to throw myself on him in the bad times. He is worthy of all of it. He, he's worthy of everything. Like if, if you only give him one season, you don't need to give him any seasons. Jesus said, you give me everything, right? You give me all of it. You give me every season, every day, every breath. So that is my challenge to you guys. As we go into this invitation time, man, you be thinking, as you close your Bibles, close everything you have, be thinking in your life, man, what are some ways I can behold him better in my life? I'm done beholding the things that I'm going through, the situations that define me so easily, how Satan works in my life, how temptation works in my life, but I am going to behold him inside of my life. So Jesus, we ask you, God, to please, by the power of your spirit, please point these things out. Please convict people where they need to be convicted. God, we pray, God, that as we go into this response time, that it would be just that people would respond, God, to your word. People would respond, God, to your sovereignty. They would respond to your powerful word, God. We pray that, God, as we know you're so personable, God, you're so individual with every single one of us. God, we know you're so, you're so big and mighty, and God, you, you have these flames of, of, of fire in your eyes, God, and you have these swords coming out of your mouth. God, you're, you're so powerful, you're a judge, but God, you're also one that loves to walk with us. You're also one that came as the lamb to die in our place. So God, whoever that student is, whatever they need tonight, we pray on a personal level, God, you would encourage, you would sharpen, God, you would convict, God, you would do whatever, whatever you need to do, God, help them have open hearts tonight. God, help us not be numb to your calling or to your convictions. God, we give it all to you. And if you don't move, Lord, then nothing's gonna happen. So God, we know for your glory that you're gonna break people. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.